Well, uh, welcome. Uh, glad that we're able to meet again, even if it is over video, um, at least to be able to, to have the Word of God and to um, be able to, to center ourselves around what it is that He has to say to us. So if you would, uh, bow your heads with me, and we're going to just pray here before we come to God's Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, gracious God, Lord, we thank you for just the, the promises and the truths about who you are and about what you have done and are doing in this world. Lord, we, we don't believe that anything that is happening currently or has happened or will happen uh, is an accident. Lord, that you are using all of these things for our good and for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would have just uh, your mind about us and Lord, we pray that as we look at your word today, that we would uh, be encouraged to, to walk more and more with you. And that, uh, Lord, that we would see all the things of this world would kind of fade into the background in the light of your glory and your grace. Have your way in us today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as a church, we have been in a sermon series that we are calling Critical Conversations. And in this series, what we're doing is looking at some of the last conversations that Jesus had with his disciples uh, before he was arrested and then executed. I mean, uh, these conversations, the conversation that we're going to be looking at today happens like 12 hours before the crucifixion. In fact, I'd like you to be able to see this for yourself, read it for yourself. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bible or grab uh, your favorite app and open it up. But join me, if you will, in John chapter 16. Uh, John chapter 16. You know, this is a critical conversation for Jesus' disciples, but it's a critical conversation for us today as well. And uh, before we get into our text, though, this morning, I, I just have something that I I want to share that I hope is a little bit lighthearted. We, we have uh, all seen those pharmaceutical ads on TV where, uh, you, you know, there's some interesting things that take place in these ads. And they start out and they tell you some great benefits about what these medicines can do. And then there is a point in the uh, pharmaceutical ad where they, they have to, they, they kind of tell you some of the side effects. And, and they'll say something like, side effects may include, and then they give you a whole long list of these side effects. Well, the Food and Drug Administration has mandated that uh, if you are going to advertise a particular medication, that you also need to talk about the negative side effects. And things like heart failure or liver disease or manic moods, you need to talk about those things happening if you are going to take this medication. And so uh, they really want you to buy these products, right? And they don't want you to pay attention to the, the side effects so much. And so what they'll do is they kind of try to downplay this in the commercial. And the way that they do this is that they'll have a soothing voice read these things and then some music, soft music playing in the background. And then you see these pictures of people kind of walking around in nature and maybe out at the beach. And, and you hear the side effects, but they don't really want you to hear the side effects. And so you can just imagine this for a moment, but it goes something a little bit like this. It says... Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, forgetfulness, 
depression, seizures, loss of appetite, skin rash, unusual weight gain, blurred vision, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, involuntarily trembling, temporary loss of fine motor skills, excessive nosebleeds, uh, uncontrollable drooling. And you know, if the music is right, and if the video is right, the pictures are right, well, really, seizures can't be all that bad if you get to walk by the ocean, right? And, I mean, why would you be concerned about excessive nosebleeds when you're out in nature? So, so these side effects, uh, they, they may include all of these things. Now, you know, this might be a little strange, but for some strange reason, as I was reading Jesus' words to his disciples that we're about to look at here from John's Gospel, this is what kind of came to my mind. Jesus is nearing the end of his life here on this earth. His closest disciples are with him. They, uh, he starts to give them some notifications about what is going to happen to them because of their connection to him. These are tough things that are going to happen to him. But I, I just have this image in my mind of Jesus saying, by the way, if you're following me, these are the side effects that, that are going to come because of that. Side effects may include these things. John chapter 15 and verse 8 is where this conversation begins. And Jesus kind of drops this bomb on his disciples where he says, he, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. If you are, were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It sounds like some kind of tough news to get, right? These guys had followed Jesus around for three years. Basically, uh, it says that, he, he says, you know what, there is a system. There is a way that I have been training you, and then there is a way of the world. There is a system that is not of God. And he says, hey guys, I, I just need you to know something, that if people out there hate my guts, they're going to hate you as well. <laughs> And uh, you, you should expect this. Imagine the disciples thinking to themselves, okay, thanks for telling us. I mean, why would you tell us this? Jesus doesn't stop there, though. And uh, a few verses later, John chapter 16 and verse 2, we read this. And Jesus says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, when Jesus says they will put you out of the synagogue, um, the Jewish synagogue was like the center of all of not only religious life, but just even social life for the Jewish people. If you were excommunicated from the synagogue, you were being declared as unclean. and You were far away from God. In fact, uh, you were living at a level of being disobedient to God that other people in the synagogue should not even be around you anymore. And so here when Jesus says they will put you out of the synagogues, he's not saying that they're not going to just not let you go to church anymore. No, you are a total outcast. 
and the friends that you had growing up, if, if you see one of them walking down the sidewalk towards you, you would probably see them cross over to the other side so that they could avoid any contact with you. Jesus says here, I just need you to know that one of the side effects of being my disciples just might be that you will be put out of the synagogue. You will be a social outcast. Jesus says here, you know, I, 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 I just need you to know this. But then he talks as well about this nasty thing of martyrdom. And he says, by the way, um, there are going to be some people who are going to be so angry at you. They're going to hate you so much that they're going to want to kill you. And if they kill you, they're not going to feel wrong about that. In fact, they're going to feel like they're even offering service to God. They're going to feel like they're attending a worship service to God at your murder. They're, they're murdering you as part of the Lord's work, is their viewpoint. He said, I just thought you might want to know what some of the side effects of following me are going to be. What, what's interesting to me is not that Jesus says this in this passage, but what is interesting to me is when he says it and where he says these things. Because this prediction of persecution for the disciples, these guys who had followed Jesus around for three years, is happening as Jesus is about to be arrested. This is one of the last conversations that Jesus has with his disciples. It is a critical conversation for them, and it's a critical conversation for us, too. And so I just want to kind of give you a picture. Uh, this is an artist's rendition of what Jerusalem would have looked like in the first century during the time of Jesus. There are these houses that are there in the foreground, and then you see this enormous building that is up on the hill. It's the temple there in Jerusalem. The temple is run by this group of religious leaders called Sadducees, and they are led by the chief priests. They don't like Jesus, and they are looking for a way to kill him. But I imagine that it was in one of these houses, not far away from the temple there in Jerusalem, that Jesus and his disciples are having their last supper together. Only hours left that Jesus has with them. They leave this Last Supper. They head out through the narrow streets of Jerusalem. They go to the outskirts of town. They go down this slope. They come, they, they come to this valley. It's the Kidron Valley. They go back up the other side to this olive orchard. Jesus and his disciples had spent a lot of time in this olive orchard. In fact, they had camped out there in this olive orchard. We know the olive orchard uh, by the name the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is here where Jesus is going to be arrested. This conversation that Jesus has with his disciples takes place somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, we don't know what time it is. Uh, it's dark outside. It's nighttime. But maybe it's like 9 o'clock at night. Jesus is going to be hanging on a Roman cross at 9 o'clock the next morning. If it's 9 p.m., he has 12 hours, and, and a lot of that time is going to be consumed by a trial that he will face. He will be beaten up. He will have to carry a cross to the outskirts of town. And so the clock is ticking. He has a short amount of time left with his disciples, and, and so he has two things that he wants to tell them here. First, he just says, I need you to know that things are going to go badly for you. People, they have hated me. 
those same people are going to hate you as well. They have kicked, they're going to kick you out of the synagogues and they're going to think that by killing you, they are doing a good thing because you've been following after me. Basically, this is the bomb that Jesus drops on them in this critical conversation. And Jesus says, listen, they're coming after me and after they get me, they're going to come after you. Well, what fascinates me is that throughout this conversation um, about these difficult days that the disciples are going to face after Jesus leaves, woven in throughout this conversation is some heavy, heavy teaching about the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 15 and verse 18, uh, Jesus would say, well, the world hates me and they're going to hate you as well because you followed after me. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. In chapter 16 and verse 2, he says, you know what? They're going to put you out of the synagogue and they're going to kill you for serving God. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit again. At the end of chapter 16, he talks again about this coming persecution. And so uh, not only are these two themes here in this text, but they are woven in, in throughout this text together. This leads me to believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is most needed in times of confusion, in times of misunderstanding and turmoil. It's not just that there is the Holy Spirit and there is persecution that is talked about here in this passage. But what I see is just kind of interwoven together uh, these two themes. And that kind of leads me to believe that the Holy Spirit is most important in times of confusion and chaos and calamity, those times when we face troubles in life, much like what many of us are feeling even right now. In verse 7 of John chapter 16, Jesus brings up this conversation about the Holy Spirit again. I want to read it to you here and uh, want to, first of all, though, back up to the beginning of the paragraph. And so we're going to start in uh, chapter 16. Verse 4, the second part of verse 4, and we'll read down through verse 7. But here's what Jesus says. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but I am going uh, to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, uh, this is chapter 16 of John. Earlier on in chapter 14, Jesus had said, you know what, I I'm going to ask the Father, God the Father, and he will send the Helper, who is the Spirit of Truth. And so here, where Jesus talks about the helper, he talks about the advocate, the counselor, the person who gives wisdom, the person who infuses us with courage. This helper is the person of the Holy Spirit. In this series, we have talked about this word, Trinity. And the word Trinity is not used in the Bible, but um, this word is used by theologians to kind of describe the three persons of God, and yet the oneness of God that is present at the same time. And, and so we have this graphic to kind of help us uh, with this idea about the Trinity, but you just see this circle there, and, and you have 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that they are three distinct persons. They are uh, distinctly uh, different, and yet they, are, uh, they have this cooperative unity. That they are three and one all at the same time. Now, in this critical conversation at the end of John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, a large portion of the conversation here tells us about what, what Jesus would say to his disciples between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, and he talks a lot about the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And th this comes up again and again and again in these conversations. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he points to the incredible honor and love and submission, the incredible cooperation that takes place between these three. So Jesus would say things in this section like this. He says, I love the Father and the Father loves me. He says, I do exactly what the Father asks me to do. I say exactly what the Father tells me to say. In this section of critical conversations, Jesus would say, listen, I, I don't even use my own material. I don't come up with my own material. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. And Jesus would say, you know what, I'm going to leave you, but I am going to ask the Father to send the Spirit, to send the Helper to you. Now, when the helper comes, the, the helper will not have his own agenda. He will not have his own material either. Jesus would say the Holy Spirit is only going to say what I tell the Holy Spirit to say. And so there is this connectedness and this submission within the Trinity where God the Father honors God the Son and God the Son says what the Father tells him to say. And the Spirit will only bring the information that Jesus tells him. The, the Son wants him to tell us. And so there are, there are three separate persons, three distinct persons. And yet there is this interwoven connectedness and they are one. And in many ways this is mysterious. Uh, I just want you to, what I want to do here is to take this graphic of the, the Trinity and I want to look at six different things that Jesus would say about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of these things are said within just a couple of chapters of each other. So, so let's look at these and the first three just have to do with the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus would say this. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That if you have seen Jesus, you have get, gotten a glimpse of the Father as well. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but what the Father who sent me has himself given me, uh, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a command, what to say and what to speak. Jesus talks about the relationship between himself and the Father, the Son and the Father. But the next three verses have to do here with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus will say this, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth will glorify me, 
for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And so the question that might come to your mind is, what, what, what's all of this doing here? I mean, Jesus just has moments left with his disciples. Does this seem like bad timing to you? Did, did he not have enough time the last three years as he was talking? He was talking about so many other things. He didn't have time to uh, talk to them about the, the Holy Spirit. And so now he's just trying to cram all of this in right now. Is that what he's trying to do? Or is it inconceivable for his disciples to move forward in carrying out the mission without the power and the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in their lives? I think that it's somewhere around 9, 10 o'clock at night. He is going to be hanging on a Roman cross at 9 o'clock the next morning. He will breathe his last by 3 o'clock in the afternoon the next day. He, he wants here to talk about the helper. He talks about the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. He is going away, but the Holy Spirit will come into their lives and empower them and indwell them in order to carry out the mission. And this wisdom and counsel and power and courage that they will receive from the Holy Spirit will be absolutely essential in order to move forward, in order to continue to follow Him. I think that this is a critical conversation for them, and it's a critical conversation for us as well. That in order to, for us to be the people of God that he desires us to be, to accomplish the mission that he has for us, we need to understand, we need to live in the power and the strength and the work of the Holy Spirit in this world. And so I think that whatever Jesus is about to say next here about the Holy Spirit is very, very important. And so let's pick up what Jesus has to say here. John chapter 16, verse 8. Here's what he says. And when he comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And Jesus says something interesting there at the end. Uh, what he says in verse 11, he says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When, when Jesus talks about the ruler of this, this world, he's talking about the devil. He is talking about Satan. Satan is a fallen angel who is against what God is trying to do here in this world. Here Jesus talks about Satan's defeat. As if it has already taken place. He's about to go to the cross. He is about to be arrested. He is going to die for the sins of the world. And he says right now, the ruler of this world is judged. It's as if Jesus is looking at this situation, knowing the horrors that lie ahead for him. And yet he looks at the evil one and he says, you know what, you're going down. My death and resurrection will mean the end for you. My death will pay the price for sin, and death will not have the final word on this planet. You look at this verse there, though, and, and he says in verse 8, 
when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because of this, concerning righteousness because of this, concerning judgment because of this. And uh, you read this and maybe you think, well, I don't really understand what he's talking about there. So maybe it would help to kind of think of this and to talk about this in terms of two guys by the name of Will. So we have Will number one, and then we have Will number two. But, but first, let me just read this verse eight again. And it says this, And when he comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. What's he talking about here? Will, number one, he works as a manager at a delivery service. Uh, he's been there for like the last three years. There is this massive warehouse with these forklifts and pallet jacks and just racks and racks of stuff on them. This is a, a distribution center and they have three stories of racks with all these pallets that have been placed on them. Different pallets are taken off the racks. They're loaded onto these trucks and then taken out to different businesses and distributed. This is a time-sensitive operation with deadlines that are very, very real. And because it is so important to meet these deadlines, there is often a lot of anxiety. There are tempers that can flare. And because of this, people can at times say some really nasty, nasty things to each other. That's the way that things normally are on a normal day. But recently, because of everything that's happening in our world with COVID-19, um, uh, just like the rest of us, they are experiencing some very unusual days. And for them, there is the added stress of having to restock all of the warehouse because they've got food and they have these essential businesses that they need to keep stocked. And uh, they still need to uh, deliver these things and they need to get them out on time. They were working fast before, but now they're being asked and forced to work even faster. They were working eight-hour days before. Now they're being asked to work 10-hour days. On top of that, uh, there are some people at this place who have symptoms of having a cold. And they've been staying at home because they don't want to get anyone else sick, especially if it's something worse than that. And so the amount of work has not dropped off. In fact, it has increased. The amount of laborers, the amount of able body workers, though, has dropped off. And so let me just say this right now. For Will number 1, where he works, it is a very stressful environment. It's not a fun place to be. Now, Will number 1, he handles things in the way that a lot of people handle things. When, when things get hectic, when things get stressful, he loses his temper and he loses his temper about people who aren't moving in the right direction or who aren't moving fast enough. And he often says some things that are very, very demeaning to the other people around him. Also, Will, number one, he doesn't really like to take a whole lot of responsibility for his actions. <laughs> I mean, he wants to move up in the company, and so when he does something wrong, he makes sure that he blames it on somebody else. And when somebody else does something right, when something goes well, well, he tries to take the credit all for himself. The way that Will, number one, is acting doesn't just affect the people who he works with, but it also affects the, the people at home as well. 
And so he comes home and he is on edge and he is angry and he takes it out on his wife, he takes it out on his kids and he blames this for all of the stress that he's experiencing at work. Now, I want you to just imagine that a couple of years ago you sat down with Will number one and you said to him, okay, you know what, I have a few questions that I wanna ask you. I, I wanna know how you might respond to these three words. And those three words are sin and righteousness and judgment. Will, uh, sin is this idea of missing the mark. It's kind of like back in the day when an archer would take out an arrow and try to shoot it at a, a target and that, that arrow would just absolutely completely miss the target. That, that's what sin is. And the target is perfectly doing what God has asked you to do all of the time, saying the right things, doing the right things all of the time that God has commanded. Will, how do you think you're doing in this area of sin? Are you hitting the target or are you missing the target? Will, number one, kind of looks back at you and he says, well, you know what? I don't really believe that there's even a God out there and I think I'm a pretty good person. I don't really sin. Okay, well, uh, what about word number two here, uh, righteousness? Well, what do you think about the things that you're doing? Do you think that the things that you're doing are right? And Will responds back and he says, yeah, I do what's right. I, I mean, people need to be yelled at and I'm the guy who has to do it. I'm just trying to motivate them. Okay, well, what about judgment? I know that you want to be your own judge, but if God is the judge and he is the standard that we all need to live by, if he's the one who we're going to have to answer to one day, and he is, then uh, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, uh, how do you think things are going to go for you if you face the judge? I mean, how do you think eternity is going to turn out for you? And Will, number one, says, you know what, I think I'm a pretty good person. I imagine that eternity is going to be just fine for me. And that's really what he thinks about sin and righteousness and judgment. And so that's Will, number one, but then there is a second Will here, and this is Will, number two. And Will number two, now he is a growing Christian who loves the Lord. Will number two has been transformed by the Spirit of God, by the helper who Jesus has sent. Now, Will number two is, has uh, been at this job for only a year now. But day after day and month, or week after week and month after month, Will number two is submitting himself to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Will number two, he isn't perfect. I mean, he makes mistakes, but he is also quicker to apologize. He is quicker to accept an apology too, that, that he does not hold grudges against people. When, when things get hectic and they're up against these deadlines at the warehouse, Will number two, he's the one who is often the calming influence on everyone else around him. In fact, uh, you just know that the days when Will number two isn't there, when he's on vacation, when he's off, those days are just going to be tougher days at the distribution center. Because of his very presence, he has a calming effect on all of the other people around him. Will number two is patient. Now that does not mean that he is not strong, it does not mean that he is not firm, but he is patient and he has this care for the other people that he works with. With will number two, you know where you stand. 
The other people can see the difference between will number one and, and, and then will number two. And, and sometimes they even make comments on this. Now, in this imaginary made-up scenario, these guys named Will, um, they, they work at the same place. They have similar responsibilities and pressures and stresses. But, but the way they uh, see things and the way that they respond to things is very, very different. In fact, they've been working together for a year now, and Will number one is starting to notice uh, that he might be a little bit different than Will number two. He might respond differently. You, you sit down with Will number one again, and, and you say, okay, I, I just want to ask you a few questions again here. And uh, they're going to relate to sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, first of all, the word sin, it means to miss the mark the way that an archer might, might shoot an arrow and then totally miss uh, the mark, miss the target. Will number one, how do you think you're doing? And he says, well, honestly, I used to think that I was a pretty good person, but over the past year, after watching the other Will and after uh, overhearing what some people say about me and the other Will and, and how we're so very different... Um, you know, the, the, the reality is, is that I can see that more and more I am missing the mark. And I do sin, and sometimes I sin really, really badly. And, and did you notice that he was realizing that because he was watching will number two about righteousness? Will number, will number one, um, how do you feel about righteousness? It is everything that you do right to you? Will number one... Uh, might say something like this. He says, well, you know what? Uh, I, I'm more aware of the fact that I'm wrong that, than I would like to admit. And uh, I, I'm, it's not just here at work, but it's at home too. I mean, there, there are times where I am clearly in the wrong. You say, well, that's sin and that's righteousness, but I, I just want to ask one more question, and that is about judgment. I mean, the God of the universe has told us that one day, uh, we will stand before the righteous judge of the universe. And how do you think that is going to go for you? Will, number one, stops and he kind of thinks for a moment. And then he says, well, frankly, uh, I do miss the mark. And I am wrong a lot of times. And I am starting to realize that I am probably not going, it's not going to go very well for me at the judgment you know, I think about this made-up story about these two wills and um, how will number one is beginning to see how Jesus came and that people need a Savior, that he needs a Savior, that he has missed the mark, that in his own strength, his own wisdom, he is wrong much of the time, and that if he faces the judgment, it's not going to go too well. John chapter 16 and verse 8, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes... He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I think that what's in view here is not just that the Holy Spirit is kind of hovering over the earth, but what Jesus is talking about here is that the Holy Spirit is working in the life of the believer. And as that happens, there is this radical transformation and change that takes place. The way that the Christian responds to life circumstances is very different than everyone else and how they might react and respond, those who are not walking with the Lord. It gets the attention of those who are not walking with the Lord and they recognize that, you know what, I'm not hitting the target. 
you know, um, they, they realize that there is right and there is wrong, and they, they're seeing things in light of the righteous judge that they will have to face one day. Jesus says, when he comes, and and I think that he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming into the life uh, of a person and transforming them. And that other people see that transformation and it then causes them to reflect on their own sin and righteousness and judgment. What if life with God was so appealing and so attractive and so magnetic that someone who is without God would be drawn to live a life with God? I think that's what Jesus' intention is here as he talks about the Holy Spirit. That he is talking about the Holy Spirit coming and transforming the lives of his followers. And that as that happens, other people are going to be drawn to him as well. Last week we were in John chapter 15 and Jesus talked about how uh, he was the vine. He described himself as the vine and his uh, followers are the branches. He said... Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he was talking about how we need to be connected to him, how we need to abide in him if we're ever going to bear any fruit in our lives. What Jesus was talking about there was a grape harvest. What he was talking about there is that if you cut the branch off from the vine, you're not going to produce any grapes. And the goal of the vine is grapes. If a grapevine is supposed to produce grapes, well then what kind of produce, what kind of fruit is Jesus looking for in the life of a believer? If uh, the, the kind of fruit that Jesus is looking for is the fruit that is produced by the Holy Spirit in you and in me, what does that look like? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, um, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives us some instructions about how we know when our lives are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes this, and and I just want you to kind of think about each one of these things as I, I read through them. But I want you to think about and reflect on these personally in your own life. And Paul says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How are you doing in these areas of your life? Is there evidence of the Spirit's work in you? The people in your house, the people that you work with, your neighbors, do they see something different in you? Because when you're connected to Christ... When you're connected to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is working in and through you, this will be the kind of fruit that will be seen and produced in your life. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You cannot do these things in your own power and in your own strength. And this is why the Holy Spirit was sent, to give you the strength, to give you wisdom, to give you the courage that you need. God is in the business of forming his people more and more into his image and into his likeness through the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as we become transformed, one of the side effects that other people around us are going to see in our lives 
is how rich and how magnetic uh, life with God and life in the Holy Spirit really is. Their desire will be to have God in their lives as well, to be transformed by Him too. That, 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 that other people might actually see God in us. And so we need to look to the Spirit to do His work in us and to do His work in the lives of those around us for His glory and for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for just this um, uh, reminder today of your spirit alive and well and working in us. Lord, uh, we, we admit that there are challenging days. These are challenging days. There are things that are difficult. But we thank you that you have sent the spirit to live in us and through us and to mold and shape us and transform us into the image and likeness of the Lord. We, we pray that we would see evidence of that in our lives. We pray that the other people around us would see evidence of you in our lives as well. Have your way in us today and this week. We pray in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen.